two small biotechs with blockbuster potential. This is industry focus. Hi fools, healthcare analyst Michael Douglas here for our healthcare edition of Industry Focus. And I'm on the phone with our contributor Todd Campbell from New Hampshire. Todd, how's your week been thus far? Hey, Michael, how are you? Um, I think New Hampshire is just about to enter mud season because uh, it's warming up and, and all of these 18 feet worth of snow that we got is starting to melt. Oh, lucky you. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, Virginia is actually about to refreeze because, you know, why not? Uh, <laughs> uh, Break out your ice skates. Well, yeah, and of course we'll all feel very different when uh, Duke Street, where the Motley Fool is uh, is headquartered in Alexandria, um, when it becomes a frying pan in July and, you know, it's like 105 degrees um, and, you know, 300% humidity. Um yeah, that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. So something to look forward to, I guess. But uh, in the in the meantime, we wanted to take a little bit of time today and talk about um, small cap biotech investing. Um, and <laughs> it's interesting, I think, because you and I spend a lot of time, I think, talking about the big caps. Uh, you know, your Johnson and Johnsons, your Celgenes, um, these you know many many multi billion dollar um, stocks. Uh, we don't take that much time to talk about sort of your smaller healthcare stocks. And I think that's in part because um, they're riskier. And I think you and I are both maybe a little bit conservative of investors for them. But let's let's go ahead and, and talk about a pair. And uh, let's start with Optotech. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I think small cap, you know, especially small cap biotech, I mean, it, they're risky bets. But at the same time, for the right kind of investor who's maybe a little bit younger, has a little bit longer of a time frame that can take on a little bit of risk, sometimes looking at some of these companies um, and putting a couple here and there into portfolio can work out. I mean, after all, you know, the Biogens and the Amgens and the Celgenes, they were all small cap companies at one point along the way. Right. The trick, though, as you just alluded to, is, you know, trying to find small cap stocks where the odds aren't as stacked against them as they might otherwise be. Well, and, and, and let's and let's be clear about this, right? I mean, in healthcare, you know, when you have a a, a drug uh, going from preclinical to phase one, I mean, the odds are just tremendously stacked against it actually making it through phase two, phase three, FDA, and then finally uh, marketing. Uh, and I, I think I think the number we've we've cited in the past is uh, about a ninety percent failure rate from phase one. Is that about right? Yeah, 90% of the drugs that enter human uh, trials in phase one never make it to commercialization. And what's really interesting is that, you know, of those that make it to phase two, you're still talking about a coin flip success rate. Mm -hmm. And of those that make it to phase three, you're talking about, you know, a third to 40% of them are going to fail there too. So clinical stage companies, it's very hard to, to, I guess, be able to say with any high degree of conviction, oh, this drug absolutely will make it to market. It's just, you can't do it. You basically, as an investor, have to approach it and say, okay, I want as much information in front of me as I possibly can so that I can make the best educated guess on the likelihood of this happening, mm -hmm. recognizing that I could lose everything if it, if it doesn't pan out. Yeah. And, you know, when I, when I went through and I looked at, at, you know, my small cap universe and I said, okay, well, what kind of stocks maybe would be attractive to a small cap in investor in this space. Two popped up, and one of them was Optotech. And Optotech is intriguing to me because it does have 
late-stage trials that are ongoing. And the results that were reported for its mid-stage studies were good enough to prompt uh, Novartis, one of the, the biggest um, drug makers out there, to license uh, its drug, Fovesta, uh, Optotex drug, Fovesta, so that if it does pass approval someday, um, they've got a huge marketing partner alongside of them. So, you know, what Optotech is doing is it's developing Fovista for something called wet stage AMD or uh, age-related uh, macular degeneration, basically vision loss in elderly uh, people. It's a big population. I mean, obviously, baby boomers are getting older, so more people are suffering this condition. Um, the CDC estimates that there could be as many as 3 million people with wet AMD by 2020. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about Fovista is that it's not being designed to replace existing therapies. It's being designed to make the existing therapies work better. And those existing therapies are uh, Lucentis mm -hmm. and Ilia. And those are both blockbuster drugs. I mean, Lucentis does four uh, billion in sales and uh, Ilia does about $3 billion a year in sales. So you're talking about blockbuster drugs, and this drug is not trying to displace them, but simply make them work better. So, you know, based on that, that's, that's one name that, again, risky, but educated guesses that things are looking pretty good for it. Well, and I, and I will say, when I, when I look at, um, at Optotech, I mean, a, a couple of, of sort good signs sort of make themselves make themselves heard the first is as you mentioned um this big pharma partner now it's not that it's not like a big pharma partner guarantees success because it doesn't but when the people who've been in the business for a very long time and have very deep pockets like these big pharma companies um when they choose to go ahead and, and and jump in and say you know what we think this drug we're willing to to take some of the risk of this drug um, and because we think it can prove out, um, that usually indicates that they see an opportunity in the data um, that this could potentially be a drug that really moves the needle. And you know, for something to move the needle for a Novartis, <laughs> you know, or a, or a J and J, it has to be a pretty. Uh, there has to be a fair amount of uh, potential upside, I think. Um, yeah, you know, and when you look at it, I'll take that one step further and say that it's especially intriguing when the person who's partnering with you is actually the dominant player in that disease. Right. So, you know, Lucentis is, you know, the, the largest top-selling uh, uh, medic medication for this disease. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they're trying to branch out into new areas. They could be doing this because they're looking at it and saying, based on all the research that we've done internally, this looks like it could be uh, something that, that, that could move the needle. Yeah, the the other the other bump for a, a clinical stage biotech is when when one of those big pharma marketing uh, commercialization partners come in. Usually, and it depends on the on the agreement that's signed, but usually there's some upfront cash. Uh, there's some opportunity to sort of earn milestone payments, and that means that when you're looking at cash burn, which is always a real big concern with small cap biotechs that are clinical stage. Um, you know that helps smooth out that cash burn and sort of give them a longer cash runway before they have to, uh, as is usually the case, dilute, <laughs> issue new shares and dilute current investors, which is, as you can imagine, not really a great thing for um, for investors to 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 see happen. Um, and actually, you know, Optotech, um uh, says in their 10K that they believe their cash cash equivalents, marketable securities, etc., um, will 
uh, as well as the potential from those milestone payments with Novartis uh, could be sufficient, and I'm quoting here, to fund our operations and capital expenditure requirements, dot, 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 through the end of 2017. So that gives you some runway and some potential to really see how much uh, opportunity there is with this data. Um, and that's definitely a nice thing to see. Right. And the thing that investors have to be watching for is the phase three data. Um, you know, obviously, this is st- drug is being studied alongside both Ilia and uh, Lucentis. And the two th- in 2016, we should have the final phase three data that will show whether or not this drug does effectively help these other drugs work better. So this is not something that's going to happen right away, because obviously the phase three data has to come out, then they have to do the filing, and then you have to wait for the FDA to get around to uh, making a decision on it. So, you know, investors may not see anything in the form of revenue in a best case scenario until 2017. Right, exactly. All right, so so let's talk about Portola Pharmaceuticals then. Oh, and, and first off, by the way, Optotech, that's uh, ticker symbol O-P-H-T. All right, so Portola, ticker symbol P-T-L-A. What's, what's your bull thesis here? Well, that's another intriguing stock. And the reason I found it so intriguing was the drug that they're working on, it's not, you know, we're Optotech's trying to develop a drug that makes drugs work better. Portola's drug's trying to make them not work better. It's a reversal agent. And, it's, and as a reversal agent, what it's trying to do is it's trying to stop um, the anticoagulant activity of a new class of um, blood thinners, if you will, uh, called Factor XA uh, inhibitors. Those drugs, J&J's, Xeralto, uh, 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 Pfizer and Bristol-Myers, Eliquis, are growing sales dramatically because mm-hmm. they're replacing warfarin, which has been around for decades and decades and decades. You know, the estimates are that this is a $10 billion market for anticoagulants. And with an aging baby boomers, again, there's going to be an increasing need for anticoagulant prescriptions uh, in people with heart disease uh, or in post-operative cases. So So there's a tremendous amount of activity going on in demand for these anticoagulants. And currently, there is no approved reversal agent for them. And so naturally, the question investors are going to ask is, well, why would we, you know, why would, (laughs) why is there an opportunity to reverse a necessary drug like an anticoagulant? Right, exactly. It's because there's, think about it. I mean, if you're elderly, you could slip, you could fall, you could have any number of bleeding events, or you could require emergency surgery. And if you're on one of these um, anticoagulants, when you go into the hospital for that emergency surgery or for that care to stop the bleeding, you want to make sure that that doctor has something that they can give you that can quickly and immediately halt the effects of that anticoagulant. Currently, there isn't anything. They basically have to do patchwork stuff to hope um, that they can reverse the activity. This would be a game changer in, in that regard. Now, it doesn't happen to everybody. It's only about 3 to 5% of the people who take Factor, factor XA drugs. But that's still enough to make, you know, pretty much every hospital in the country need to have to stock this and at least have it available. Yeah, definitely an interesting opportunity there. Of course, uh, on the cash burn side, not as positive as Optotech. Uh, Port, uh, Portola, um, when they gave their um, their uh, expectations for 2015, you know, they said as of December 31st, 2014, we had 464 million in cash, cash equivalents, and marketable securities, and they are guiding for having. Uh, I want to say it was about 180 million of that left over um, as of the end of uh, 
2015. So that indicates, you know, really substantial cash burn. And, you know, that that means going to have to, you know, there, there are some there are some sort of more difficult questions there, like, okay, well, where's the cash going to come from after that? Um, you know, are we going to have the opportunity to, you know, are we going to be seeing something like uh, dilution? Yeah, 165 to 180 million in cash, cash equivalents and investments. So that would indicate that they're planning to burn more than half of their current cash this year, which isn't exactly a great thing to see. No, I mean, a lot of that cash burn obviously is coming because they're studying this drug against every one of the Factor XA drugs. Right. Um, now, granted, some of those development costs are being picked up by J&J and Pfizer and Bristol because those guys have said, listen, if we can help Portola develop this drug, we may be able to increase the number of prescriptions for these drugs because right now doctors aren't prescribing them in frail patients. They're not prescribing them in patients that they have comorbidities. So they're thinking, hey, we'll go ahead and we'll give some money to Portola to help fund the development. But there is a lot of spending going on in R&D for this company. Um, the other thing that's interesting about this company is that they have already reported phase three results in two different trials. And in both of those trials, it did effectively reverse the Factor XA uh, drugs. Yeah. Yeah, definitely some some really, uh, really interesting opportunities with these with these two companies. Uh, gut check, Todd, which one's your favorite of the two? Of the two, I think it's Portola. Yeah. <laughs> uh, perhaps perhaps more upside. Well, the other reason, too, is that I think that it's got a faster uh, path to commercialization. Mm-hmm. You know, they're thinking that Indexinet Alpha, which is this reversal agent, you know, if all things go well, right? Always the if all things go well, right? The usual caveat in healthcare. Yeah, exactly. If all things go well, they could have this drug on the market sometime next year. Yeah, so definitely a lot of opportunity there. Um, as always, you know, I I, I think uh, it's very important for us to note that with any smacul- speculative, gosh, I can't talk speculative, uh, s- relatively small cap company. I mean, these are both sub three billion dollar market caps. Um, you've got to understand that this has got to be the risky side of your portfolio. Should have a really long time horizon, and of course, there are um, these. These sort of important um, uh, forks in the road that can happen and that can really dramatically change that investing thesis. So, so whenever you're thinking about investing in those, you know, think about your risk tolerance. Think about whether you've got the stomach for it, um, because especially when you get into the smaller cap biotech space, even with companies that look like they have a lot of opportunity, uh, data, rumors on data. <laughs> Uh, suspicions on data uh, can move stocks just enormously, and so you really have to be have to have that sort of foolish, locked-in, long-term um, uh, expectation that you're you're planning on looking at this and reviewing that investing thesis every time the data comes out, so you really understand what you're owning and whether whether that opportunity, that ramp, still seems to be there. Um, Todd, as always, thanks for your thoughts. Uh, folks, check back to fool.com for all of your investing needs, whether they're healthcare or otherwise, and uh, have a great day. Fool on.